0: MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: A strange spiraling white light was spotted in the early morning sky over Sydney with even skeptical witnesses wondering if it was a UFO. They were last seen on the beach with a tall man. And that's the best description police have ever had of him. More than
2: 17 years after Harold Holt disappeared into raging surf at Cheviot Beach, his widow has finally revealed his last romantic words. Shocking, terrifying, mesmerising. That's the way a number of Australians have described their alleged encounter with the Yowie.
1: It's time for the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. welcome to the weird crap in australia podcast it's episode 66 i'm your host matthew soul joining me is co-host and researcher extraordinaire holly soul
2: The heart of this podcast.
1: (laughs) If you don't say so yourself. (laughs) And also very modest. (laughs) Though I think a lot of people would agree with you, as I would I, because without your research, uh, there just wouldn't be a podcast.
2: Can I, however, can I be the heart if I'm giving you the cold, hard facts and you're the one that's trying to make it seem less horrific?
1: Maybe you're the brain and I'm the heart.
2: I think that's more accurate. I think, yeah,
1: (laughs) I agree. I think that's fairly accurate. (laughs) All right. So in the uh, previous episode, we detailed... Uh, the Russell Street bombings. We talked about uh, the victims, the explosion itself, the damage caused, and the first responders. But now it's time to look at the darker side, the even darker side of this story. And we're now going to focus on the perpetrators themselves. So take it away, Holly.
2: Alright, so for those who are just jumping onto this episode... Go
1: back to the previous episode. (laughs) It's called Part 2. This is Part 2. Go back to Part 1. it's been
2: a week since lots of people have listened to this, Matthew. They (laughs) might need a little bit of a refresh.
1: Yeah, but if they haven't listened to Part 1, go back and listen to Part 1.
2: In March 1979, a bomb was set off out the front of the Russell Street Police Precinct um, in the very heart of Melbourne. Killed one police officer, which is where we left the last podcast, and injured at least 22 others. Sometimes sometimes detailed is up to 25, sometimes as little as 18. Depends on which source you decide you're going to believe.
1: uh, That police officer, Angela Taylor, was the first female police officer to be killed in the line of duty.
2: Also, a little fact I didn't drop into last episode, she's actually a native Canberran. So all our Canberra listeners, if you go to Everett Primary School, there's actually Memorial Garden there for
1: her. Oh, there you go.
2: Um, it's been recently it's been expended to every past pupil who's died in active duty or has passed away in some point, but yeah, her name started at all.
1: Huh.
2: Okay. So down into the nitty gritty, this is how the cops eventually caught the guys who did this. Now, It did take a lot of digging for this because the court transcripts are not actually open to the public. On April 22nd, 30 police officers started a door-knocking campaign in Melbourne's west, seeking information about the sighting of a car that was used in the bombing. The driver was seen to have short black hair and a moustache, similar to the identikit released a few weeks earlier.
1: Door-knock campaigns, uh, I would imagine, are really, really effective but I would also imagine they'd be very, very frustrating because I used to do deliveries. I had to deliver to uh, all these places in Tumut. And in doing that, you, in, you you meet a lot of interesting characters. Can you imagine? <laughs> interesting how, in quotes. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine how many police officers are stopped? Oh, look, come in, have a cup of tea. I might know something if you sit down and have a cup of tea and a biscuit with me. That mm. must have got old real quick. They must have techniques for dealing with that. For just being like, "Oh, look, no, we can take your information now. We'll come back for a cup of tea later."
2: I think it's more the fact that because there were so many man hours, it, it was such a high profile case. People were like, "I don't know anything. I don't know anything. Don't bring oh, you no, corrupt was, cops down on there, me."
1: There was a there was an old granny.
2: Yeah, probably one. And it, the police sergeant was probably the one that was dispatched to that house because he'd known her for twenty years, and he was the only <laughs> one that could deal with her. That's more than likely what happened. I doubt very many of them were invited in for tea. Remember, this is the point in time where the public and the police were not on the best speaking terms, Mm. especially the criminal class. A small group of men were brought to police attention during this door knocking. Um, Stanley Taylor was known for serving 17 years for bank robberies and was known to hate authority. Stephen Komintzik was a plumber and brother to Peter Reed who was living with him at the same time. Now those guys were all big-time bank robbers, had been in trouble with the law a lot, and were known to really nurse a passionate hate for them, more more than enough to think about blowing up the place. On April 25th, 10 police officers raided the home of Peter Reed, storming their house with their weapons out. Now He and his housemate were home at the time, and they got absolutely spooked by suddenly having these 10 cops raid their house with their guns out. So Reed fled to the bedroom, drew a 45 revolver, sorry, a 455 revolver, and seriously injured Sergeant Detective Mark Wiley by shooting him in the chest when he wasn't wearing armour. That's attempted murder. (laughs)
1: of a police officer of a police officer I actually I remember this story they barricaded the whole house so this lasted a little while like this yeah. was a bit of a shootout it wasn't just a come
2: in shoot yep. and go it was
1: oh. it, and Reed said that he was spooked but I don't believe it I think Reed was looking for a shootout but to, <laughs> to be honest like uh, the criminal class in Melbourne at the time They think they're in a war with the police. And
2: take any opportunity to take a shot.
1: Exactly. So I think they're already primed for a conflict uh, between both parties. And I think when it comes to people like Reed, they were already on edge. So, yeah, he was prepared to shoot them all and go down in, in a blaze of glory.
2: The unfortunate thing about this raid is that between the ten of them, they only had four or five armored jackets. So Detective Sergeant Wiley was actually the last person to enter the house. So Reed had enough time to assess. I can't hit you guys because you're wearing armor. Oh, look, there's an easy target. So
1: how stupid! <laughs> I, I'm sure <laughs> this was never shoot a cop. <laughs> well, yeah, never shoot a cop because they all that means the whole police uh, force is going to come after you. The thing that I think about though is. You are making police officers apparent targets if they're not wearing a vest. Mm-hmm. So why do that? Other than budgetary, and I guarantee you, it was money issues. Yes, it
2: was. It, see, there <laughs> we go.
1: Money issues prevented them all from wearing a vest, essentially making a couple of them prime targets to be attacked, which they were. Yeah. Uh, Reed was
2: subsequently shot by Detective Sergeant Quincy and was arrested while he bled out on the floor. No, from what I remember, he got shot in either the shoulder or the leg. Probably both, considering Trigger Happy Cops So a dime a dozen at this time in the universe. So, charges were laid against Kaminsky and Reed. They were the murder of Angela Taylor, the attempted murder of Carl Donatello and Ian West, unlawfully conspiring to cause criminal damage, committing criminal damage with intent to endanger lives of others, and causing an explosion whereby lives are endangered. I so, get- what
1: evidence, though, did they have to take down Reed and.?
2: I'm going to go through this because this is going to be like horribly complicated. I tried to simplify it as much as I could. The cops obviously at- were not going to tell the newspapers how they found everything because then the criminals can hide that information.
1: Mm. Is this a case of they know two wanted bank robbers and they're making the puzzle fit?
2: Could be. But what they found in the houses of the people they arrested eventually came to, actually, this is the right puzzle piece for this spot. So they probably made an educated guess and then just ran with it and found that it was the right one. Okay. Like trying to make a puzzle with all pink pieces and good fucking luck with that. Kaminsky was charged with stealing the car and dishonestly receiving stolen goods, as well as murder and attempted murder of Mr. Wiley. Now, he was seen to have stolen the car that was used in the bomb, and he was the one who was roaming around with the detonators that caused the bomb. So that's how he was tied into it. Because he was seen driving the car, that's, that's, it meant that they raided yeah. his house. And his brother that's, was a heavy criminal, so they arrested him. And then it will fall, flow forth from there.
1: That's, uh, that's pretty damning evidence to be walking around <laughs> with the detonators in your pocket.
2: Well, it wasn't in his pocket. It was in the house. So they arrested yeah. him for the car. Then they found the detonators. And then it just dominoed effect. So, Reed was charged with two counts of armed robbery for stealing the detonators from the mine, two counts of assault occasionally actually bodily harm, one count of aggravated burglary in January 1986, which was unrelated, but they figured, while we've got you, we're fucking charging you with that as well.
1: I mean, this guy is going away forever. Yeah. Doesn't matter. He shot a cop. He may have participated in essentially a terrorist action. Killed another it was cop. actually
2: labeled as a terrorist action yeah. in a lot of newspapers at that time.
1: Yeah though so in this case it's actually incorrect yeah. uh, because there are what we'll go into a little bit later is there are some more specific reasons why that that bomb was detonated which doesn't really fall into the purview of a terrorist action. So I'll talk a little bit about the differences a little bit later on when we introduce another couple of players into this uh, story.
2: Now, he was also charged with a host of other crimes relating to his bank robbing profession, so it wasn't just one aggravated burglary. They hit him with, like, 15 or 20 at once, so they were definitely trying to make sure he never saw the light of day again. Evidence was gathered at Reed and Kaminsky's house, including the same explosives and detonators found in the car from the bombing. There was... the explosives were wrapped in paper, which contained the fingerprints of Mr. Rodney Minogue. From this, Rodney Minogue was arrested for conspiracy, later upgraded to murder. His fingerprints were in the system, as were his brother, Craig Minogue. Now, Craig Minogue was arrested in Swan Hill in northwest Victoria, and the police discovered a block of wood where the cutting pattern matched that of one found in the car. You know, half burnt, but they managed to match it. There were wire cutters with a distinct cut that matched the wires that were in the bomb. And Craig was also known to have called a witness, Mr. Russell Hammond, around Easter 1986, asking about the use of explosives.
1: So the Minogue brothers, of course, related to Kylie Minogue, I'm sure.
2: Possibly related to Helen Minogue?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's a little go of me. Uh, so my family, uh, they come from Minogue, some of them. And the thing about my family is that... Well, my family's full of just rat bags.
2: Yes, I've met them. They are definitely rat bags. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's a lot of rat bags
1: in my family. So we are related to the Minogues, not by blood, but by marriage. My grandfather, his stepfather was a Minogue. And they, my grandfather always assumed that that was his father, but it wasn't his biological father. Now, that Minogue did come from, I think it was Wollongong, I want to say up around like sort of more new south wales yeah more in uh new south wales but i believe that this family group is all part of the same family group
2: i mean we could always get you to take a DNA test and see whether it it's pins not gonna anything. it's not gonna work because <laughs> oh, yeah, it's by marriage it's yeah, by no. marriage Oh, well, there but goes yes, that avenue <laughs> uh
1: i do know that they came from the wongong area and there is a possibility that they are connected that way. So that makes me that that's a possible connection to another set of outlaws. After my connection to Nick Kelly,
2: yeah. So like, if you know Matthew's family, try and avoid him because they're all a bunch of ratbags.
1: Or when when they're Holly known,
2: known for the Kellys, they're known for the Minogue brothers. Like, fuck. When,
1: when Holly started looking into my genealogy, I think you found a pirate, didn't you? Yeah. But that pirate was being hunted by a member of your family who was a knight, (laughs) which means I won. My in the end, my family won. (laughs) We survived, and then we took that night's great, 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 great (laughs) granddaughter.
2: I'm not sure it was that many greats, but all right, we'll move on. All right, I have a little bit of a quote here from Mr. Russell Hammond, published in the Canberra Times, fourteen May, nineteen eighty-seven.
1: He asked me if I knew anything about uh, explosives. Minogue asked about a detonator. Uh, He obviously had one with him at the time and mentioned the colour of its wires and numbering.
2: Craig Minogue was also spotted driving the stolen Commodore around the Melbourne CBD just prior to the explosion. So he was the driver that dropped off the car.
0: At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond
2: for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This address, he'd moved between the time that the bomb went off and when he was actually apprehended, which is supposedly an easy way to avoid detection, but not if, you know, you do it on the books.
1: It's interesting, like, that's a, that's a lot of storage and moving of explosives, especially in your house. It's rather mm-hmm. dangerous.
2: Yeah, especially if the detonators are right there. They also found the same copper wire used in the bomb and a file with traces of the same brass as used in the bomb. So already with Minogue, you have the same wire, the same wire cutters and the same shot casings.
1: As well as an eyewitness saying that Minogue brought him the detonators.
2: Rang him up to talk to him Mm. about the detonators and also eyewitnesses saying he's the one who dropped off the car. Yeah. The Minogue's brother's previous residence was raided May 30th and police recovered six police scanners and an unregistered rifle. Now, this is pre-Port Arthur, so you were Mm. allowed to have a lot of guns back then.
1: Yep. Though you were still meant to register them. Yes. Um, This... Is also, it, it's interesting to see how many police scanners they have. They were professional criminals. criminals. If you don't know what a police scanner is, it's just, it locks into the police radio frequency. Yeah. And you're able to listen to all of the transmissions. You're, Essentially,
2: it's the radio you've got at home is set to slightly different frequencies.
1: You'll find that there are a lot of little old ladies who love having police scanners. My and,
2: grandfather does because he's a tow truck driver, or he used to be. So he has one. It's always going.
1: The difference between, (laughs) well, he may just listen to it just for fun now. I think it does, yeah. uh, But yeah, a lot of uh, the elderly particularly like police scanners because they can sit there and listen to uh, all of the police stuff and they can have a chat and a gossip about it.
2: (laughs) Sipping their cup of tea. Oh, did you hear the car chase the other night, Muriel?
1: You don't even need to do that anymore, though. There are Twitter Just follow the Facebook feed. (laughs) Well, yeah, there are Facebook and there are Twitter accounts where they have scanners, so they just tweet out, all of the stuff. Uh, Kevin Smith does it on his podcast, Smodcast, where he talks about all the crime that's happening in, I think it's in Vancouver. It's called Scam BC. Oh, no. British Columbia. Columbia. Yeah. And he just, he likes to read them out because they're the most mild-mannered <laughs> kind of criminal reports. There's like one here the Man sitting on roof refuses to get off roof. Man angry. (laughs) Like, you know, things like that. So bizarre. Good on you, British Columbia.
2: um carpet in the previous home of the minogue brothers returned positive results for the explosive residues so they are already pinned well and truly to this whether they want to be or not
1: and they're just nonchalantly moving this tnt around
2: yeah they just piled in the car and just kept driving it around
1: because you've got it you got it in their previous residence their current residence and also in their home which means yeah they're just nonchalantly moving all of this uh tnt around I'm uh, shocked that they didn't blow themselves up, the way the how sort of careless they are with this stuff.
2: I am too, though, considering he rang up for like advice on how to use a detonator. The guy was probably like, don't put it near the gelatite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he probably doesn't even know what he's doing.
2: Probably not. No, he's probably just working out of books and magazines. Stanley Taylor, one of their acquaintances, was also arrested at this point because he was seen frequently around the house at the time when the bomb was being constructed. August 23, 1986, Vladimir Richter was sentenced to two months jail for wasting police time in an attempt to get the reward for information. Now, he said he would provide photographs and details of registration to those involved in the bombings. Um, He is the reason that the reward money was up from $100,000 to $500,000 because he basically said to the cops, you give me half a million, I'll give you all this information. They're like, all right, we're going to publicly bump this reward up. He requested the reward be paid in US dollars to a Swiss bank account before he gave him any information, which is basically the point where the cops went, uh-huh, turn around. Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> I find it's a generally a bad idea to pay in advance for things. Mm-hmm. I always like the halfy-halfy. Deposit. And unless you're playing around with a little bit of money. Like, sometimes we have to extend a little bit of trust to people who say that they're artists and want to work with us on T-shirt designs and things like that. Sometimes we have to go, okay, well, here's $50 from our PayPal account. Let's see what happens. And, yeah, obviously Richter was trying to, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but in a really dumb way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's quite obvious that this dude is just going to take your money and run and actually has no information at all.
2: Especially if you're going, I want US dollars transferred to this Swiss bank account, please. Yeah. It's like asking someone to pay for it in gift cards now. I was like, really, man? Yes. <laughs> As the trial went on, it was revealed that Craig Minogue and Peter Reed were also responsible for the rapes of women in the months leading up to the bombings. Now, one of the women they were accused of raping happened to be in the Russell Street building when it was bombed.
1: Now, this is interesting. This has only just come to light recently.
2: Actually, it was in a newspaper in the 1980s.
1: Okay, so it must have only it's just only been rediscovered. Because I've listened to a few series on the Minogue Brothers and some go quite long, like some are four or five episodes. We're certainly not going to do that because that's a long time to spend on these guys. Uh, But it was never mentioned in those other uh, series and the documentary I've seen. So this has sort of just been rediscovered.
2: I don't know. I think it's one of those things where the news gets slow. Someone reads some old newspapers, goes, hang on a minute, I can report on this and get some quick clicks.
1: Mm. Um, If anyone wants
2: the link to that newspaper article, I have it, so you can actually read for yourself that it was something that went around in the 80s, and everyone else is just incompetent researchers.
1: (laughs) The mentality of these two individuals, because they're savage, savage criminals, and we'll get into that when we discuss their lives a little bit further, how... I don't know whether like it's always been presented to me as two people who hated the police, hated authority and just wanted to cause a bit of mayhem and destruction.
2: So you mean it's interesting say- that
1: did they I, I suppose I suppose these guys have the mentality for revenge as well, you know, they probably saw their victim as someone who was causing them trouble, so well, they sure were going to a cop
2: station to give evidence. But so. it's
1: such a it's such a complicated way like if anything Like, if they were just trying to kill her, the silencer, if anything, this brought the heat down on them far worse.
2: Yeah, so the question actually becomes whether it was a coincidence she was there that day or whether it was planned. And I don't think anyone's ever actually going to work out which one it is. It's too stupid to be intentional, but at the same time, there is motive.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really (laughs) hard one because... Like I said, these guys have that psychotic mentality of, yeah, we're happy to blow up a police station. Like, doesn't worry us at all. We hate the cops and we want want to scare them. We want to hit them hard.
2: Or at least kill a few so they can't come after us.
1: You know, but at the same time, it's like, yes, there's this witness to their crime. But at the same time, they always had guns. Like, it seems to me it would have been easier just to shoot her.
2: Unregistered guns, too. So, it's not like it would have come back on them.
1: Yeah, it it seems it would have just been easier just to shoot her and get rid of her than to go through this whole elaborate scheme. Which... If they did, and they did it for that reason, plays into my common theory that most criminals and most psychopaths dumb shits. are really fucking dumb.
2: <laughs> or they're just like the complete opposite of lazy. Like efficiency is not in their rotor. Yeah. They just the long way around on
1: everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, what we could do is take one of these unregistered guns and we could shoot her on a way home. Yes, we could do that. Or we could steal some bombs, learn how to use them, move them from various locations, steal a car, make a car bomb, set off the detonators, and get her that way. And but, hope we get her that way. But what if we don't actually get her? Then we shoot her.
2: It's like, you going through that reminded me of the meme, you know, like the boardroom is like, how about we do this, 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 yep. and the last guy gets thrown out the window. Yeah, That's, that's the just shooter guy. Yeah. During the trial, Prosecutor James Morrissey outlined the charges against Reid and Craig Minogue as part of a larger six-month-long reign of terror by the group against the innocent citizenry. There were objections at Morrissey tarring all the accused with the same brush, particularly the lawyer for Kamesiak. The judge later requested that the press not publish all of the charges against the men because they didn't want, say, Comisiac being shown to be associated with rape when all he did was steal
1: a car. Yep. Uh, So, yeah, these are what's called a gag order. That's where you ask the media not to publish certain details. And that (laughs) way it won't... Ask with handcuffs. Yeah. It it won't... What will happen then is you can have more chance of having an unbiased jury. That was one of the biggest... I mean, quite recently, quite famously, actually, Cardinal George Pell, who's now been convicted for sexual assault against children and I think just failed his first appeal. I think he's got another one to go through. I think
2: he's heading to the high court next.
1: Yep. So hopefully he'll remain in, in prison. However, what happened during that trial was there was a gag order put out. No one was allowed to talk about it. No one was allowed to publish who... Uh, was actually being arraigned. And the reason for that is because Cardinal Pell, just like every other citizen in this country, deserves a fair trial. And if the media publishes stories about you and there's already a stigma around the Catholic Church, then you're not going to get a fair trial. And this is an example of that, where you have to ensure a fair trial. And people go, oh, they're criminals, fuck it, who cares? Well, in o- when you put together a fair trial it means that the conviction will stick. If you put together a dodgy trial, that actually gives the criminals ammunition in their appeals to repeal the uh, convictions against them. So it's very, very important to make sure that any trial is 100% by the book and ticks every box, and sometimes gag orders are appropriate to make sure that happens. But in this day and, uh, day and age, the uh, and Card- the Cardinal Pell story really highlights this, Foreign newspapers and websites were writing about Cardinal Pell. So all you had to do was go to, say, the Washington Post, and you could read all about it.
2: Yeah, it's far less effective now that we have worldwide media. You'd have to do a worldwide injunction, which is it's not... It's impossible. Yeah, it's not realistic. No. Paul Hetzel, witness against the men, told of how Stanley Taylor explained how he planted the bomb with the help of Craig Minogue and Peter Reed. They stuffed every available nook and cranny with explosives, parked the car at the police headquarters, and Stanley Taylor climbed into the getaway vehicle with Craig Minogue and Mr. Reed. Hetzel explained that he was told the bomb was set at 1pm.
1: To best get the corpses as they were coming out, you know, to kill and injure as many cops as possible.
2: And that quote itself seems to imply that they didn't actually know the woman was in there because it... They would have said we yeah. would have gotten that bitch.
1: That that it. This is where it sounds to me like a couple of deadheads trying to have a go at the police.
2: At which point, wouldn't you ram the car into the station rather than park it out the front on the tarmac? It's
1: still pretty. I mean, it caused a lot of damage. But
2: it only killed one of them.
1: Yeah, I I suppose like trying to drive the car in, getting out of it, then detonating the bomb would have been a lot harder than inconspicuously parking it up against the building.
2: What was the one that did that? Wasn't the Unabomber? No. No. The one that parked the car under the building and just collapsed it all.
1: Uh, No, we talked about that. That was Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber. We brought him up last week.
2: Yeah. So that is more the tactic you should not do at all because I don't condone it, but that's more effective than what these idiots did. Yeah. When cross-examined and asked why he didn't take the reward money for his information to police, Hetzel replied,
1: No one, myself nor anyone on my behalf, claimed it. In fact, if I was ever offered the reward, I would not claim it because it's blood money. And no one should get it. So
2: to me, that's more proof that what he's saying is true because he actually has a moral stand against taking the money. Really? Well, he's really? not aiming for the money.
1: I think he's full of shit. I think what he means to say is, I was fucking petrified of the people I was working with. I was scared of the Minogue brothers because the Minogue brothers are some of the most dangerous criminals in Victoria, In New South Wales as well. They're being, you know, it's alleged that they're involved in constant bank robberies, uh, home invasions, rape, murder, pedophilia. Uh, There's a lot of stuff we can go into on the Minogue brothers. This dude was fucking petrified of them. And this, oh, no one should, I'm taking this moral stance. Fuck off. Like this bogan fucker sitting there. On the stand, claiming that he is a moral authority. He's full of shit. He was terrified of the Minogue brothers. And if he had an ounce of honesty about him, he would have sat there and he would have said that.
2: His quote probably would have been something more along the lines of, look, dude, taking those guys away.
1: Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. Discount what you're saying. Like I understand where you're coming from, but yeah, Only this sa- will tell us. This, this sounds like the drivel of a, a whimpering quim, not a not some sort of moral mewling quim, mewling quim, old insult. Man.
2: <laughs> Hetzel was part of the party, which he specifically stated did not include Rodney Minogue, that robbed on Mine to gain the explosives, but stated under cross examination that he did the robbery because the lives of himself and his family were on the line threatened by Stanley Taylor. He also stated that these stolen goods were later used in the bomb. He said he turned witness to get the bombers out of his life for good.
1: A.K.A. protect his own ass.
2: Yeah. Another witness was brought forward claiming that Craig Minogue threatened his mother and girlfriend if he didn't cover for the man, going so far as to sign a statement he knew was incorrect. The man's name was suppressed by court order, so I couldn't actually find it, but that is just part of the six-month quote crime spree that the lawyers were painting the minogue brothers with i have a quote here from canberra times 15 april 1987
1: the man told the court that mr minogue had said in a telephone call he would quote unquote fix his mother and girlfriend and was going to quote unquote get him which i 100 percent believe yeah the minogues were savage like they really were they were savage dangerous criminals absolutely believe that they would have threatened the lives of family members in order to get people to comply with what they wanted
2: yeah at this point I feel that if you threw the book at them they'd probably stick to every page most likely it was revealed during the trial that Reed was under surveillance during the period both before and after the bombing he was seen driving a car belonging to Stanley Taylor to Taylor's house in Nunderwang Avenue and the house was- Nunderwang
1: <laughs> it's
2: actually Nunderwading I missed a word and the house was under observation until 1.30 p.m. Now, the bomb did go off at 1 p.m., so at this point it doesn't look like Reid actually left the house, so he wasn't physically at the bombing. Rodney Minogue also claimed that he was working under a false name in Melbourne on the day the bomb went off, but this information was proven to be false. It's not that hard. If you're stupid enough to give a specific name in a specific factory, the cops are going to turn around and go, hey, did this guy work here that day? Yeah.
1: Did you have... Johnny Everyman <laughs> working at your factory today? Johnny Everyman. We have five Johnny Everymans here. Which Johnny Everyman are you talking about?
2: At which point I was like, eh, get them all to line up, see if they're...
1: Again, like, I think that's just psychotic behaviour. Like, it's just the Minog- Minogs are psychopaths, yeah. right? Plain and simple. These These brothers are psychopaths. And that's just typical psychopathic behaviour right? People have a real misconception of what serial killers are. And I think through our episodes, we've tried to change the mythology, right? A lot of people think of psychopaths as Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs. It couldn't be further from the truth. Most of the time, they're really fucking stupid. And the way that you actually need to see a psychopath, it's a child. They're, they're like children without impulse control. You know, a to bastardize one of the routines from Dylan Moran, a very funny uh, Irish comedian, he when he describes the, the, the innocence of a child or the, the drive of a child, look, I've got a harmonica. What are you doing with the harmonica? I'm putting it in the toilet. Why are you doing that? Leave me alone. No more questions. That's That's a child. Like a child has no impulse control. They'll put your harmonica in the toilet. Right. Psychopaths are exactly the same. The only difference is...
2: the harmonica is a knife and the toilet is somebody.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, they can't control their impulses. And most of the time, these people are really fucking stupid. The Green River Killer, who had a massive body count, and they actually tried to enlist the help of Ted Bundy to track down. The Green River Killer was dumb as fucking shit. I think he had an IQ of 86.
2: John Wayne Gacy wasn't that smart either.
1: He was, he was a little bit smarter than most. Like, he ran his own company, but he was... I think probably, yeah, BTK, Green River Killer are probably the stupidest you're going to come across. And it's not just them. Like I've read an amazing book called The Psychopath Whisperer, which I would recommend everyone check out if you're interested uh, in the subject matter. But the way he talks about these people, it's like they're they're just children. One of them completes the psychopath test. There's a, a, a checklist that you can go through and it's a rather intense checklist. And he hands it back to the psychologist in the book and he goes... I don't like this. You're labeling me a psychopath. And he goes, well, you are. He goes, I am not. And he's like, yes, you are, because you murdered those people. You feel nothing for it. And you blame the victims. Oh, well, this is wrong. And he crossed out the word psychopath and he wrote Superman. (laughs) And he goes, it's the Superman test and I'm Superman. And then he went around showing everyone his Superman test in the jail. That's what psychopaths are. They're not smart, intelligent geniuses that are playing games with the police. They're just shitheads and they're really dumb shitheads. So I like to, whenever I have the opportunity, stop people thinking of psychopaths as Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs and start thinking about them like they actually are and that's idiots with poor impulse control.
2: When Minogue's alibi was disproved, he called his mother rather than a lawyer, which says a lot about his relationship with his parents, I think.
1: (laughs) Hey, mum, I'm in jail. I may have murdered murdered a bunch of people. What kind of advice do you have for me? Or A, son, don't talk to them coppers. Actually, that's exactly the opposite. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And this is... (laughs) I didn't read ahead. I should have read ahead. Uh, This is a quote from Rodney Minogue. Mum says I can trust you. All I want to know is if I am going to go to jail... If I tell you about a couple armed robberies I have done, will I get bail?
2: That's basically the exact wrong way to go about getting bail. It's like I'm going to yeah. show you exactly how violent I can be, yeah. and you'll let me out, right?
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll let you, out. we'll let you out, Rodney. You just, you tell us about all these armed robberies. We'll let you out, buddy. No worries at all. <laughs>
2: what am I doing over here, Cameron? No, I'm, I'm turning it off, Rodney. I'm turning it <laughs> off. It's fine. The committal hearing alone ended up lasting 14 weeks, reportedly the longest and most complex committal hearing of its type in Victorian history. After the committal hearing, Rodney Minogue was recommended to not stand against charges for murder. However, the Director for Public Prosecutions decided he would, and so he was. Peter Reid was acquitted of the charges relating to the bombing, but was handed 12 years jail for attempted murder of a police officer during his arrest.
1: Well, he did shoot a cop in the chest.
2: I'm surprised it was only 12. Me too. Stanley Taylor was given no minimum prison term for his role, the first in Victoria. That meant he was a life sentence. Like an actual life sentence. Never
1: to be released, basically.
2: Craig Minogue was given a 28-year minimum sentence, and his brother Rodney was only handed six years. Now... Craig Minogue, after all this is said and done, was eligible for Craig Minogue was eligible for pat, parole in 2016, but police and the Victorian Parliament are doing whatever they can to keep him in jail, including twice passing legislation intended to keep him specifically locked up. Now, unfortunately, Stanley Taylor died. Unfortunately, in, Stanley Taylor died in jail in October 2016, so he didn't get to live out the 40-year jail term that he fucking deserved.
1: Because these guys are, are yeah, quite old finish. now, aren't they? <laughs>
2: um Taylor died I think he was seventy six, so So old me is
1: it's interesting that they're they're that worried about keeping Craig Minogue in jail because I would imagine at this point, like he's an elderly man. Like he's but not... he has
2: connections and he has to know how to pull off a lot of crime.
1: Yeah, but the world is so much different to when he went in. Which is why like, he's
2: probably going to be collecting stuff from the younger kids to learn how to get away I with doubt it now. It.
1: I I honestly like I understand. You think I understand that there
2: aren't fanboys for these guys
1: in jails? Yeah, there are. I'm sure there are, but those fanboys are going to commit crime regardless. And not only that, like you when you take someone into the prison system, like you take the and, and this happens a lot when you see a lot of innocent people on death row who eventually get exonerated by DNA evidence and they come back out in the real world. They're, it they're, for them it's like time traveling. Like they have no grasp of of the internet, of smartphones and things like that. So they're, they're transplanted from an era where all you had was books, television and movies. And then suddenly you're just bombarded with all of this new technology and the way people communicate is different. The way we communicate is different. Someone like Minogue who went into prison in the 80s has no idea what a podcast is. Has no idea that CDs aren't really a thing.
2: Craig Minogue actually has an honorary PhD. So really? Keep that in mind. He does actually have the know how of Wait, the it wouldn't world. be
1: honorary because. Well,
2: he worked for it, so it's probably not honorary I No, think yeah, but it'd be his a PhD. Name, he, he is Dr. Craig Minogue. Yeah, so that is he'd, what have he
1: is a, he'd have a legitimate PhD.
2: Yeah. So. so Half of your statements are wrong. Take it back. (laughs) No,
1: just because he said, hey, you can study it via books and computer. But what I'm saying is that this guy is probably now in his 80s or getting close to his 80s. He was younger than Stanley Taylor. So, What could he really possibly do? And you keep him in a halfway house. The dude's probably going to die in the next couple of years anyway. I understand why people want to do this. And it's like for the victim, it's fitting that he like sits there and dies in prison, I'm um, again, I got no problem with that. But to the fact that they called parliament in twice to change legislation, it starts to show you just how much work is going in place to keep one man in prison when our parole boards are constantly letting out thieves and rapists who continue to rape and thieve. I don't understand why one is different to the other. It's like because you either keep he, them all in or you don't.
2: Because he hasn't reformed. While incarcerated, hmm. Minogue murdered Alex Tasmiscus, filling a pillowcase with gym weights and hitting him over the head repeatedly. He has committed murder while <laughs> being in jail. That's why he'll never get out.
1: Was Because Tasmiscus <laughs> mis- was snoring.
2: Minogue claimed...
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know when you're as snoring. As a life, I understand this. <laughs> I know when you're snoring. I just want to beat you to death. With you have never heard
2: you and your brother in concert. Trust me. It's very, very loud. <laughs> uh, Minogue claimed it was a get him before he gets me situation as Tasmiscus managed to burn his prior cellmate to death. All.
1: Well, yeah, no, I'm kind of with Minogue. I would have been, I been <laughs> like... Fucking kill you, first yeah, man. Fucking oath. You're not going to let that dude try and burn you to death. No, no way.
2: So, the Minogues, Horrible people, yes?
1: <laughs> we have agreed that they are very bad people.
2: <laughs> um, because of their many, many years of horrible times and...
1: So, yeah, you, you are right. Like, these dudes are, are, are pretty scummy guys. Now, one connection they actually have, and this comes from a guy called Paul Hetzel... Uh, He was the step-grandfather of a young woman... Well, young girl, I should say, really, uh, called Prudus Bird.
2: He did actually turn witness. He was part of the trial.
1: That's right. Now, he went into witness protection, eventually remarried.
2: I remember this case now, yes. Yes.
1: Now, the problem here is that the Minogs weren't people to let things go, right? So... Paul Hetzel ends up becoming the step grandfather for a young lady named Prue Bird. Now Prue Bird disappeared from her home and was never seen again. They think that they have an idea of where her remains are. They've tried uh, a couple of digging locations over the years. Uh, Eventually the bigger killer uh, was eventually sentenced uh, for her murder as well. That, particular killer who we'll, we'll talk about him at some stage as well we'll do an episode on him um, he was a convicted pedophile and murderer which rapist. makes sense yeah he knew craig minogue and at this
2: point i feel that the entire criminal enterprise knows craig minogue
1: pretty much he had a lot of friends in low places it's believed that she was taken because hetzel had turned witness against minogue
2: so that threat that he was playing he actually went forward with it
1: that's correct. So that came out around 2014, and it's just sort of an addendum to the case. Um, like I said, Prue Bird and The Bigger Killer, they deserve their own podcast, so we won't go into it a huge amount. But we'll revisit, you know, the, the Craig Minogue connection when we're talking about that case. So even...
2: <laughs> even it, in jail, we are not free of him. <laughs> pretty much.
1: that That's the suggestion. Like, he was still able to attack people via his connections and And
2: you want yeah. him released. Fuck you, Matthew.
1: <laughs> that's that's if it's true. See that's the thing as well. Like one one of the most notoriously lying scumbag criminal class are pedophile murdering rapists. They won't tell you where the bodies are. I I, I think it comes down to the fact that they just can't admit their crimes to themselves. Mm, I think likely. because because of the the absolute disgusting depravity of their crimes, I just don't think they can reconcile it in their own brains. And I think that they're either trying to maintain 100% control over the victims, the police, everyone, like that's kind of their last power play for a lot of psychopaths, that's what they do. Uh, But yeah, I think that some of them just can't admit the kind of horrible fucking scummy monster that they are.
2: So as a little bit of a side and a bit of stupid history to go along with this case, because we need a little bit of cheering up, Um, In the media during the trial, an argument developed between the Victorian Council for Civil Liberties and the Victorian Police. The police, frustrated at their inability to compel suspects to hand over their names and addresses, and their inability to fingerprint suspects unless they were charged for a crime, found their investigation of the bombing severely restricted, especially when their description of the suspect is so specific as tall with black hair. Uh, It developed to name-calling in the media between the two powers. So, child, children squabbling in the media. Uh, Tom Rippon, the secretary of the Victorian Police Association, called the VCCL a bunch of trendy leftists. Ooh, sick burn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just, it, it was funny. It's like our central station, uh, the, the battle for central station. We transplanted old arguments to today, like the old soldiers <laughs> Replace complaining. bastards with millennials. Yeah, and millennials. And, and now we're doing it again. It's like... The idea of not being able to randomly grab people's hands, grab their DNA, fingerprint them, that's just a lefty idea, isn't it?
2: I think their biggest problem was they couldn't walk up to someone and say, what's your name and where do you live? Yeah. That was their biggest problem. Like, the fingerprints and that, they can deal with that at a later date, but not even being able to ask someone's name.
1: Mm. That's frustrating. It would be, yeah. Uh,
2: Brian and cohen the secretary of the VCCL returned that the police were a joke, a group of public servants who take the law into their own hands.
1: And to be fair, at this point in Victoria, (laughs) that's kind of the case with some of them.
2: The Russell Street bombings became the poster child for the fight. Within 24 hours of the bombing, police were giving statements to the media about the lack of resources that could be spared to catch the culprit. Now, this was, of course, shown quite vividly in Mr. Wiley's shooting. Uh, when he got shot in the chest because Mm. he wasn't wearing armour. The VCCL believed these complaints should have gone to the commissioner and not to the public. Nevertheless, they continued to fight it out. I tracked it for about six months in the newspaper, just Mm. arguing with each other. It's like, you have to go to the commissioner, but we're going to air our grievances in the media. Fuck you. (laughs) Police were seeking the power to ask suspects for their names and addresses, to take part in an ID parade, to take samples and specimens from suspects, so hair or fingerprint samples, to conduct body searches, and to tap phones in drug and serious crime cases without going through a court. In the 80s, Victoria was the only state that couldn't fingerprint you at any given point in time. So everywhere else in Australia, they grab you off the street, you have to give a fingerprint. Victoria was the only spot you couldn't.
1: Now they use fingerprint scanners. They don't use ink anymore.
2: Yeah, they just... Fingers on the touchscreen.
1: They take an iris scan. They do a face scan. They do a finger scan. That which fills me with a sense of existential dread. I don't like the idea of anyone having that much information on me and I'm a perfectly fine law-abiding citizen.
2: All you have to do is wear coloured contacts and the RS scan no longer works.
1: Doesn't matter. I shouldn't have to. <laughs> that I one's easy. Yeah, but I shouldn't have to. That's the point. And, and that's the, it's something that drives me insane. There's the, a little
2: bit different between... What you're suggesting and what the routine pickup procedure is like—you're not going to get scanned and fingerprinted straight up. They're just going to take you in and talk to you. Like you don't get fingerprinted and scanned until you're actually arrested.
1: We'll see. Like I mean, that's and that's the thing. Like, and people who have been picked up before—you're probably innocent. You've been picked up and like moved out of the case. Maybe you were a suspect for a time. Let us know. Like, what's the what's the procedure like now? Do they sit you down, scan you all over the place, bombard you with radiation, and then put you in a cell. Or is it like what Holly said, where, body it's, where it's X-ray, sure your bones. Are it, it's nice and friendly, and they just bring you in for a chat and a coffee. I happen to think that, yeah, absolutely, they're gonna scan you for their database before you even walk in the door.
2: Pretty sure it depends on what the context is that you're walking into in the door for. If you're being escorted in handcuffs, I'm pretty sure it's a bit different too. Can you just come down the station and answer some questions?
1: I also really hate how authority, any th- authority, will use a horrible, tragic. event Event to to try and push through more draconian measures because that they, they always you're say are getting
2: into gun reform in America territory here. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it, it's they always turn around and say when these sort of events happen, they go we if we had these powers at the time, we could have stopped this happening. Bullshit. Like they they knew what the like they couldn't have prevented the Minogue brothers doing what they did if they had the ability to conduct. Uh, random body searches to grab people off the street, to fingerprint them and shit. They may have caught them sooner.
2: Which is what they're actually aiming at.
1: You know, but that doesn't stop the bomb going off.
2: I mean, they'd caught all these guys for one thing or another at some point or another anyway, so obviously their reform work needs a little
1: bit of help. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously, like, this could be a, an entire discussion in and of itself, like, government authority over its people. But I hate this shit because they that they know what they're doing. Like they pretend it's like we needed this stuff to catch these people. No, you don't. You just need to make sure that you've got uh you've got a nice little stranglehold over your population and I fucking hate it.
2: You do it does bring me to mind of like the armor gra- the army grade. Machines and stuff that are sent into the US police departments.
1: Not just in the US, here in Australia.
2: I've never seen a Jeep with police colours roaming around. They're usually just like Ford Falcons and stuff. Me,
1: me and your grandfather, or your grandfather and I, I should say, uh, we actually discussed uh, the tank that the Sydney police have, You know, which is the one of our biggest cities. <laughs> but again, it, it seems to me that it's unnecessary. Like, What kind of situation calls for a armoured people carrier? in a policing situation if it's got that bad you should have called in the military anyway you know that's why we keep our military and our police anyway i'm gonna go <laughs> on, a, on a massive rant we're nearly finished the episode so i'm not gonna do that to you folks um that's a discussion for a different podcast in a different time uh but yeah we'll we'll wrap this one up
2: so i had last thing that we have here is a little quote in an opinion editorial from the canberra times on the 4th of April, 1986. This to me is something that everyone should think to mull over.
1: Someone out there is spawning the crazies who steal the explosives, build the bombs, set the timing devices. In one way or another, we all have to pay our collective dues. The question begs the asking who pays next? That's a very interesting quote. Yeah. It, it is true. The society, why does society spawn these people? You know, just recently we look at the Christchurch attacks. What are we doing as a society that keeps building these people, the mass shootings in America? uh,
2: The mosque attacks in Egypt. Like, everybody is killing everyone else. Yeah,
1: all around the world at the moment, everyone is ripping each other to pieces, and the question is why? You know, so it's very poignant. Now I have to plug everything, people. How's that sound? Yay! I
2: left it on a shitty note just so he could (laughs) fuck up like this. (laughs)
1: yay now i have to bring my excitement level up sound like an american game host
2: yeah you do (laughs) so fake
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay so just a couple of things to talk about don't forget to find us on those social medias all of our social medias are now weird crap oriented um so you can find our facebook page where we'll update you with little factoids relating to some of our previous episodes which is fun so you get a couple every now and again you'll get a couple of the uh on this day, this happened and it's related to this episode.
2: Last week, there was a day where there were three.
1: Yeah. So, we like to do a little advent calendar of sorts on our Facebook because, you know, you can just have a Facebook and we can just post the episodes we're doing, but we kind of try and make it a bit more interesting than that. So, if you.
2: The cool thing is that with that, like you can say subscribe for years because as we release more episodes, more stuff gets added to the calendar. Exactly. So every year will be different.
1: Yep. Um, so, yeah, we try and make the Facebook a little bit more fun than just a, a group of people who enjoy what we do. Um, so you can check that out. That's Weird Crap in Australia on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We are Weird Crap Oz Aus, A-U-S. That's at Weird Crap Aus, A-U-S. And you can find us on the Instagram. That's just Weird Crap in Australia. Um, If you are interested in wearing your Weird Crap in Australia pride right on your chest, you can head to our new Redbubble store, uh, which is Weird Crap in Australia. Just uh, search Weird Crap in Australia on the Redbubble shop. You'll be able to find it. It's really easy.
2: Actually, it's even easier than that. It's just redbubble.com slash (laughs) australia.
1: There you go. Um, So you can check out our T-shirt designs. We have three new T-shirt designs on the way, possibly even a fourth. So we'll let you know where that all drops. Uh, Last episode, I put out a call. I'll do it again this week. If you're one of the lucky people to have won a T-shirt or if you're one of the very generous people who have bought a T-shirt from us, what I'd love you to do is take a photo of you in your shirt. If you don't live in Australia, I'd love it near one of the landmarks in your local area, maybe in your little Scottish village or, you know, maybe in, a, in an American national park, wherever you happen to be in the world and you have one of those shirts. I'd love for you to take a photo. Send us a quote as well as to uh, something related to the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. And we'll feature you in our fan spotlight over our social media accounts.
2: I'm actually looking forward to see if one of our many, many German listeners takes like a photo outside one of the big sausage stores or something. Holding a big beer. I know it's probably very stereotypical, but I would
1: love that. But holding a big beer (laughs) and a sausage on a fork, that would be (laughs) fucking amazing. Uh, We'd love to see that. So yeah, if you're a fan and you've got some of that weird crap in Australian merchandise, we'd love to see a photo. Send us a quote as well. Uh, We'll put that with the photo and uh, that will feature on our social media account as part of our fan spotlight, which... I'm really looking forward to doing. Uh, We also have Patreon as well. Uh, Some of our, every now and again, we have the opportunity to interview people and we like to make those exclusive to our Patreon listeners. Next week, we're actually going to be conducting an interview uh, with a professor who originated the big cat, sorry, not originated, researched the big cat myth. Uh, We're going to be talking about that a lot. All of our interviews go up on the Patreon. So if you'd like that extra bonus content, all you need to do is head to Patreon. Uh, There are a couple of different tiers. And if you are subscribed to our Patreon, thank you so much for your financial support. Thank you. (laughs) It means a lot to us. It really helps us fund this little project of ours.
2: Yes. Thank you very much. Did
1: I cover everything? I think so. I feel like I covered everything.
2: Twitter, Facebook, Redbubble, Patreon. T-shirts,
1: fans, everything.
2: Fans are awesome. All this the stuff that's covered too. <laughs> everything
1: got it sorted. It's so long. The spiel is getting Sign, so check, long. Sign, check, seal. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's it for another episode. Weird crap in Australia. Don't I, don't know know why. Why I don't know why you sing it. I don't know. I felt like I had to sing it, but I did sing it, and I, I stand by that. Please
2: don't do an outro. That's just you singing that. <laughs> I know Blake's going to isolate that now, and that's going to go into our best of a blooper reel oh, yeah. whatever
1: that, viewpoint
2: you have on that, that
1: that's one thing we're going to put out on patreon as well like the best of the bloopers that's that's going to be worth usually worth matthew <laughs> that'll be worth subscribing just for a uh, just for a month uh as and of course holly thank you so much for all the research on another episode you're welcome and we're going to see you again next week for more weird crap in australia
2: don't blow anything up
1: This has been a production of The Modern Meltdown. For more podcasts just like it, head to themodernmeltdown.net.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?